I'll give a wave like this just to let you know that that joke is over. Okay. I misbehave on stage, but I'm better than when I wasn't sober. Okay, so um, I've sobered up. There's still some blackouts. And, um, I worked in hobbits and survived tornadoes and trailers, but that don't mean I won't put in my two weeks later. Having a good time, baby, having a good time, baby. We're having a real good time. We're having a good time, baby, having a good time, baby. I'll tell you one more time, oh yeah, we're having a good time, yeah. All right, uh, we are back. Welcome to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name is Dusty Slay, and I am here with uh, not my co-host, but my producer, Hannah Hogan. Hey, Dusty. Great to be back in the studio. Well, welcome, Hannah. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, Me and Hannah have decided that um, I'm far too inconsistent with my podcast and that I need help. Yesterday, I recorded one. I was sitting here. I was talking. I was recording. It was going great. And then I'm like, all of a sudden, what am I talking about? Does any of this rambling make any sense? So Hannah didn't want to do the podcast as a full-on co-host, and that's fine. I do like doing the podcast alone, but I uh, need to stay on task. I mean, I've been very inconsistent, and I apologize. For the people that have been listening to this, uh, I'm sorry that it's been so inconsistent, but I'm going to try to come back, and I'm going to come back hard. In this podcast, what I'd like to do is I'd like to do a where we've been, where we're going section. I'd like to talk about uh, comedy after the quarantine. I'd like to answer an email from another comedian, and that will be a kind of an advice to comics section. And then I'd like to close this out with a little talk about Jesus and Christianity. And, uh, there, and, and I'll explain why I want to talk about that. I am a Christian. And I'd like to talk about it because I think I have a unique perspective uh, on Christianity, and I feel like that it's worthy of sharing with people because it has helped me, and I feel like if uh, there was ever a time that we needed a little help, I'd say now is the time. We're, uh, uh, we got a lot going on, and uh, I feel like we could use uh, some, some nice words. I feel like that you know everybody's grown up. Uh, knowing Christians or a part of a church and, you know, you got some kind of beef now because of some things that, you know, and it's probably fair that you have that beef. But I want to talk about it in my journey, and I'm going to start talking about it regularly. My grandmother, we went to the Grand Old Opry one time, and she said that, uh, you know, she said all these singers, my grandmother was very religious, uh, she would say all these singers, they get up there, they first couple of songs are all about church and God, and then the next half is about drinking and cheating, and uh, I think that's what my podcast will be in reverse, and uh, so um, I'm excited to be here, so let's get into it with a little where we've been, where we're going. Where we've been, where we're going. Where they going. Where they been. Where they going. Where, where they been. Where we're going, where we've been. All right, where we've been, where we're going. Okay, so since I haven't done this in a couple of weeks, I'm going to do this and I'm going to lump it into a subject of comedy after the lockdown. 
I know there's still a lot of comics who haven't gotten out there yet. And that's fine for different reasons. Maybe they can't find gigs. I think it's difficult to find gigs right now. I'm lucky enough to have an agent and a manager, uh, and they're great, and they're on it, and they're they're just tearing it up, and um, they're able to get me gigs. I have, uh, I think I have two of the best women in show business, my agent and my manager, and they're just crushing it out there, and uh, I'm excited. But so I went to. Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to Huntsville. We were at 50% capacity to a club called Stand Up Live. I worked with Connor Larson and Aaron Weber, two of my friends. And we got to do a weekend of comedy. And it was really exciting. Hannah went down with us. We all stayed at the condo, the comedy house that Huntsville has. And it was great. We didn't have a lot of human-to-human interaction with the customers. And we don't, you know, typically, me and Aaron and Connor aren't touching each other. Uh, and we're not even that close to each other. So it was great, though. I mean, I felt like the audience really appreciated it, except, except for the Sunday show. A Sunday show felt like a Sunday show. Like, it felt like people were tired. They didn't want to be there. Um, but I think they did want to be there. It just always feels like that with Sunday crowds. It's not – I mean, I do think they want to be there. But you know what I mean, right, Hannah? They're tired from the weekend, and they're the kind of people that didn't want to go out on a Friday or Saturday night. So, you know what I mean? Like they're just, they're a different kind of folk. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. I don't know how good the microphone is that I have for you. And I think it's a good one, but we well, better step it up. Cause I'm trying to produce. I know. And I like this. I like you being able to come in and now we are videoing. I couldn't tell you how many times I've said on this podcast, we're videoing and that video never made it to the internet. And this could be the case too. But I do have a new camera, and I did this on the last podcast. I recorded my last one with my new camera. But now I've got an awesome setup. My friend Evan Burke came up for the weekend, and we set up uh, the background here. We got a map. We got all kind of stuff, and it's very exciting. So I'm hoping that this will be the launch of the new wave of the podcast. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited and all right, so continuing on. So then I then I took a week off, and then I flew out to Salt Lake City, Utah, to do Wise Guys Comedy Club. I love that club. I love listen. I love everything about Salt Lake City. Um, Hannah makes fun of me because I came home and I was talking about how uh, nice all the women dressed. Oh, you love your Utah ladies. <laughs> I your mean, sister wife. Oh, <laughs> you can't you can't get enough of it. I mean. I just was like walking around downtown the last time I was there and they just were women were so dressed so nice and they looked classy and I just thought man I like Utah. And then uh this time Utah was on lockdown and everybody was wearing masks so it was not not quite the experience as before. Um but I I did get to um do comedy there. Did four shows. I love the comics. I love the the guy who owns Keith that owns Wise Guys in uh, Utah. Great dude. He's from Charleston. That's where I lived for a long time, and we just I feel like we really bond. And the staff there at the club is amazing. The other comics in the town are really great. I know I've said that a couple of times, but it's just a good setup. They have everything. The audience is there. Come ready to laugh. They get jokes. The only show I felt like I struggled on was the early show Saturday. And that's supposed to be, and I don't feel like I struggled, but that's the show that's supposed to be the show for everyone. That's the one that everybody crushes on that. And I find that 
oftentimes to be my worst show of the weekend. I don't know what it is. I feel like it's just a tamer, calmer audience. They don't know anything about uh, being shady and uh, hiding behind your blinds. And, you know, they don't know anything about that. They're they're the respectful people of the weekend. And they don't get a lot of the white trashiness that I bring to the table. And uh, so, but I also, while I was in Utah, uh, got what I believe to have uh, vertigo. And I've never had this before. I've been dizzy before, but that's usually with booze, you know. And I was look. I walked outside. I was looking at my phone, and then I looked up, and I got dizzy. And I was like, "Whoa!" And I've been dizzy before, so I, I was like, "All right, I'll just prop up here." And then, as the day, I'll just prop up here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as the day went on, I just. Uh, I walked to the store and then I went into the lobby of the hotel and I had a backpack just full of stuff. I had a whole day set up. I was going to be loading videos and editing videos and just really getting into it. And I start talking to this lady and then as I'm talking to her, like waves of lightheadedness and dizziness are hitting me and I go, okay. So I pack all that stuff back up into my bag and I go up to my hotel room and then I just get, I start spinning. I mean, I'm just spinning. I got so I spun so much, I got nauseous. And then I thought I had to I had to get a trash can because I'm like, oh, I'm gonna throw up. And then I, I had to like trying to get the trash. It felt like I was in an earthquake almost. And I, although I'd never been in an earthquake, so I don't really know what that feels like. But it felt like, and it, it just felt like that I had been on the internet so much on my phone scrolling that my actual vision had turned to scrolling. And my eyes were tired of looking at the hotel room, but was trying to scroll to another one. But that other one wasn't in there. That's the singularity they talk about. Yeah. I mean, the inner meaning that the Internet is becoming my actual vision. And once Elon Musk gets to implant things into our brain that we can hook to the computer system and download. Uh, he talks about that, by the way. Yeah, how close is Utah to Area 51? I don't know. I don't know. But Elon Musk, you know, he talks about what I see as the matrix. You know, they plug in to the back of their head, and that's how they download information. He says once AI becomes so intelligent that uh, – you know, we won't be able to keep up. So we'll have to download information to keep up. And that just sounds like the matrix to me. That sounds like how in the begin, whenever, however the matrix happened, that seems like how it would begin, you know? It sounds like you're having a physical crisis and an existential crisis. Yes. I mean, I am, I turned off my phone. I was questioning my whole life and everything. And I'm laying there going, why am I even doing comedy? Why am I all the way out here in Utah taking these flights, getting dizzy, when I could be at home with my wife and my birds and my plants and being grounded and getting my bare feet walking through the cool grass. And then I took a nap and I woke up and I went and did comedy. And I was like, okay, this is why I love doing comedy. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun out there. And then I flew home. I've spent a couple of weeks here. And now, tomorrow, I'm going to drive to Oklahoma City. And I'm going to do comedy at the Looney Bin with Connor Larson. And Connor's going to feature for me. And I'm going to do a 10 and a half hour drive. I haven't done that in quite some time. I'm actually, I'm excited and upset about it. I'm excited to be doing it, but I'm also like, I should have bought a plane ticket. <laughs> and uh, But I feel good about it. 
And the, um, so I'm going to do that tomorrow. And that's a lot of fun. I've been to the Looney Bin a couple of times. Um, I've never headlined. I've always been the feature. And they have a house there where we stay. And I'll be with Connor Larson and Lenny Van Horn, who is, uh, I think Lenny lives in Tulsa. But he may live in OKC. I don't, it doesn't matter. Uh, very funny guy. He featured for me when I went to uh, the Wichita Looney Bin. And he uh, emceed for the, me the last time I was there with Mr. Showtime, David Scott, the Midnight Swinger. And uh, so I'm excited to be back. I liked Oklahoma. Uh, and it's just going to be a, it's gonna be a hot, hot string of shows. I mean, I'd never headline, and I can't wait to headline. I, I, I thought for a while I would never headline any of the Looney Bins. And uh, I'm happy to be back. I mean, I, I featured for this one guy one time. He was a guitar guy, and I actually liked him a lot. And I don't remember his name, but he felt like he bought, he went to like some burger place, like some fast food burger place, and he bought like, I don't know, five burgers for $10. And that's what he ate the whole weekend. Each week, each night, he would just come in and eat another one of those burgers. And then he would get real drunk. And him and the host would smoke cigarettes inside the house. And I was like, I was like, uh, are you sure that you should be smoking cigarettes in here? And like, I'm like the mom. And he's like talking about the owners of the Looney Bin. He's like, they smoke. And I was like, okay. I mean, sure, they smoke, but does that mean they want you to smoke in this house? And yeah, there's no way that they wanted him to do that. No, no. And he was seemed to be struggling. He was a he seemed like a real alcoholic. Like, I mean, I've been there, I get it, but he seemed like the kind of guy like we would be talking, everything would be cool, and then he would get like, you know, several beers deep, and then he would get borderline emotional. And it was like, okay, dude, like I've been there. You know, there's a darkness inside of us all, and enough alcohol brings it out. Yeah, and enough, enough road comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little bit more dark than light, probably. That's true. The The road can – I think I know what's going on with the microphones. I think you're talking into this microphone, but this one is uh, so good that it is also picking up your audio from here, which is fine, but it just gives a little bit of a of an echo. It sounds fine, though. We're going to work it all out. Cool. <laughs> all right, so so now that, that, now that I'm talking about those things, we got the where we've been, where we're going out of the way. Comedy after the lockdown, I mean, it's been really good. I mean, the, the rooms are half full, which is makes me feel good because a lot of times I go to clubs and the rooms are half full, and uh, it's my fault for not being a good draw. And this way, it's like, oh, uh, actually, I, I don't feel bad for this. But, you know, the sad part was, though, right there at the very end, right before the lockdown, I had like three weekends in a row where I had sold out several shows. And I was really like, felt like I was really picking up quite the momentum. And then to have this two month of no work kind of shut it down. Uh, it's pretty, diff- you know, it's it's hard to, you know, hard to take in, but. I thought, and this is, I would say this for other comments, this is my, not not advice, but just what I've learned, uh, and I also had John Reap tell me this same thing, that I went out after two months, and I wasn't really sure what to talk about, because I was like, uh, you know, I haven't been writing jokes, and it's like, can I just go right back out and tell the same jokes again? 
And I went out, and apparently my brain had been writing jokes that I wasn't aware of. I have so many new jokes. I mean, I'm practically doing a new 30 to 45 minutes in my hour-long set. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, I had no idea. Like, you know, there'll be some jokes from the old, but those will just be like the little catalyst now, and other jokes have come off of them. And it's been freeing. I felt like the break really freed up my mind. And John Reap said the same thing. He's like, I, he's like, I have so many new jokes. So I think I wouldn't worry about being rusty. I mean, you're bound to be rusty, but you just tell the audience, this is my first show back, and they'll get it. And um, you know, and 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 you just but but feel free to just let your mind go loose and talk about things. I mean, I got so into it. I mean, yeah, it's become axiomatic in terms of a philosophy that, you know, comedians have to get on stage all the time and just keep on it all the time. But I think that there is something to be said for taking breaks and living your life and, and, you know, regenerating the well. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, that, that is what has happened for me. I mean, I've really gotten to, I mean, with the lockdown, it's like, you don't get to live life as normal, but I, I made trips to Lowe's and Home Depot. I bought things. I got out into the yard. I was doing things that didn't have my mind constantly going, what's funny? Where's the joke? Where's the joke? I just was living my life. I mean, part of me thought that we would never do comedy again. When the lockdown happened, I thought, man, we'll, comedy's done. We'll never do comedy again. And the fact that I got, so I wasn't even thinking about comedy. I mean, I was thinking of how I would transition into being a farmer. How would I grow enough crops on the land to feed me and my wife here? And uh, the fact that I got to get back out there was freeing. And I'm also like, even right now, I'm at this place where I've heard that Memphis uh, has gone back to phase one. So I'm like, we're back but how long, you know? So I'm like, I'm just enjoying it as much as I can. And I'm not being reckless out here, right? Like a lot of people uh, think it's really reckless to be doing comedy right now. And I, I don't know if it is or if it isn't, but I'm not being reckless with it. I mean, I'm not uh, sharing things. I'm not sharing straws and cigarettes and cigars with people. I'm not sharing saliva with anyone. And I don't get so close up on people. And I, I'm trying to take all the precautions I can. I'm washing my hands more. I mean, uh, I'm probably up to the amount of hand washing that the average person did prior to COVID. And, uh, and now, <laughs> but which is a big step for me. And, but I, you know, I'm trying to take precautions, right? I'm not trying to be reckless with it, but I also do want to live my life. I, I can't wear the mask. I struggle with the mask because I burp a lot. And, you know, my the burp is inside of my body. Whatever that gas is, it's in my body. My body doesn't like it, and my body is it dislikes it so much that it's like, let's get it out here abruptly and make a noise upon exit. We want the rest of the body, we want the ears to be aware that this gas has left the body. We want the nose to be aware that this gas has left the body. And when I have a mask on, that poisonous gas goes into the mask and it's stuck in there. And then my nose is like, all right, the stomach didn't like it. Let's see how the lungs like it. And then I breathe it in and it's terrible. And I'm in the mask. I'm in the grocery store trying to get burp out of an N95 mask. And it's hard. 
People tell me, they say, if you got a condition, you shouldn't wear the mask. And I think I have a burping condition. You definitely have a burping condition. (laughs) Right. So the mask is not for me. I mean, I can't. I put a little patchouli on a a bandana uh, so that I had a mask on the plane. But hopefully the patchouli would uh, outweigh any burp smell. And I mean, I about passed out the whole time. I mean, I was poisoning myself with patchouli. I love the way it smells, but I don't think it's designed to be on a mask like that. And you also mess with a little eucalyptus. Yeah, I like to do a eucalyptus hit. And you, eucalyptus starts with an E, if you don't know. And uh, Hannah said you're taking a little hit of E. And uh, that, that is what I'm doing. I like to put a little eucalyptus right on the mustache and uh, breathe it in. And it's like, whew, it opens you up. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, people think that Vicks Vapor Rub is something, but... If instead of Vicks Vapor Rub, take a little uh, any kind of carrier oil. Uh, you know, you could do a avocado or, or what an apricot seed oil, and mix it with a little eucalyptus. Rub that on your chest, and it's as good as Vicks Vapor Rub without whatever weird chemicals Vicks is putting in there. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to keep it healthy out here. I'm trying to. I've been I've been doing juices. Uh, we've been doing. Uh, to keep, to stay healthy. Another thing that I've been doing is I've been taking, um, I do a glass of water and I pour a little bit of, uh, um, pour a little oil of oregano, oil of oregano two drops, and then a little, uh, what is the other stuff that now, uh, elderberry. elderberry, put that in there, do a little bit of that. I did some today. Oil of oregano burns. I mean, my whole lips were burning. And, it, you know, one time, they say it's really good, though, if you're, if you're trying to fend off a sickness. So one time, me and Hannah had to drive down to Tuscaloosa, and we were both feeling a little sick. And Hannah said, do a droplet of this, do a tincture of the oil of oregano, which a tincture is like that. And really, we're doing two drops, which is like that. But a, a tincture is like this. We did a full tincture. I chugged it. And I could feel the burning all the way in my stomach. And it burned me for a long time, several days. I would not recommend a full-on tincture. But if, if folks don't know about oil of oregano and elderberry juice, these are, you know, very good. Um, especially if you feel a sickness coming on in the winter or something, like you feel a little tired or downtrodden. Take a tincture of oil of oregano. Not a tincture, a couple of drops. <laughs> yeah, a couple of drops. And if you're, you know, if you're dubious of this, obviously I'm not a medical health practitioner or a doctor, but I do suggest try it and see for yourself. And I think that you will be uh, pleasantly surprised and impressed. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I, I mean, and then we did a little mulin oil too. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but mulin is supposed to be really good for detoxing the lungs. Which is what, you know, you, you know, with a, with a lung disease or whatever it is, a virus floating around, you want to make sure that you have the right things. Um, so uh, what we're going to try to do is uh, I'm going to try to do a little advice for comics. And, um, and you know, really, um, I want to answer some emails. I've gotten some emails in. Uh, let's start with one right here. This is not going to be the main one that I'm going to start with. Um, I'm going to say, um, uh, I'm going to start with a couple. Uh, people, by the way, 
I've been getting emails. People have been giving me a lot of compliments for um, my TikTok, right? I've been getting a, my TikTok has hit over a hundred thousand followers now. My TikTok is is exploding. I'm actually at a hundred and ten thousand followers as of right now, and my TikTok is unbelievable. If you, I mean, if you're a comic, I'd love to share with you some secrets of me on TikTok, what I do for TikTok, because I think the more we could flood. I think the more we can flood social media with good quality content, minus of any big uh, comedy producer. I mean, just personal flooding of the internet with comedy, the better it's going to be for everyone. I think people could really use some joy and some laughter when they pull up their social media pages. I mean, a lot of the big name comedy things, I mean, the comedy that they put on is the same thing as the news almost, and it doesn't help take your mind off of things. I think we really could use our mind taken off of things. And TikTok is a great way because it's a one-minute clip, so you don't have to burn your whole joke. You just post a couple of funny things. You add some subtitles. I use Final Cut Pro. You can also use Adobe. Uh, one you can get Adobe you can get monthly. Final Cut costs about three hundred bucks, but it is well worth it. And then you just learn. To, you can watch all the tutorials on YouTube. You learn to do um, the. Um, the, the dimensions of a video so that it's narrow like that. And then you just got to play around and figuring out the best way to do subtitles. There is a company called rev.com that'll do subtitles for a dollar 25 a minute. And I've, I've had them send it back a couple of times where they say they couldn't translate, but I like, I think they were like, we can't understand what you're saying. So the audio has got to be good, but I emailed them about it this last time. And I said, I said, I don't understand. I said, you've, uh, subtitled far worse videos for me. And this is like one of the best quality videos I've ever sent. And they just emailed and they said, you know, the way the company works is the video just goes to several people. And after it goes to a few uh, people decide they can't do it, we send it back to you, we refund your money. They said, chances are if you resubmit, uh, we'll do it. You know, it'll find it'll fall into someone's hands that that will do it. And that's what happened. I resubmitted and it, you know, so it's like if you got an hour long video, it's going to cost you about seventy five bucks. But if you got a ten minute video, it's going to cost you about twelve. So twelve bucks, you get your full video subtitled, and then you can mess around with the subtitles just using the regular text formulas to um, to um, um, to the regular text formula to, you know, uh, adding, uh, uh, titles. You, you just like where you would put a title on, you would say dusty Slay comedian. You just use that to become your captions, but you'll have to copy and paste. It can become a complicated process, but once you get a hang of it, I mean, I can crank these videos out pretty fast and I'm even putting up jokes that are like B jokes or C jokes, jokes that I've done a few times and they, they, they didn't stick around in my longer set. I have decided to, you know, um, uh, use them on TikTok, and then they get a lot of a uh, lot of attention. All right, so here we go. Now I want to get into this email. This is an email that was sent to me uh, by a comic. She will remain unnamed, um, but I'm just going to start, you know, midway through the podcast, and uh, I'll answer things or, or midway through the email, and I'll I'll answer questions as I go along. And Hannah, feel free to chime in. I've been doing comedy for about a year now. I've just gotten into hosting at the clubs and I'm having some trouble. I guess I feel like I don't belong on the lineup. The comics 
are all middle-aged men with super crude slash sexual sexual humor, which is fine, but it's the opposite of my style. I'm a 25-year-old dorky woman with a quirky sense of humor. Okay? First off, I get that. I mean, I, I, I understand. I mean, but uh, comedy clubs are going to appreciate a clean host over a dirty host all day, every day. So... All right, so I'll continue on. Anyway, I guess my question is, how do you maintain your voice and style while while also appealing to larger audiences? Is there a way to preserve my voice, comedic style, and also perform well at clubs? Uh, I think there is. I think it takes time. I think you have to just continue to do what you do. I think there is that delicate balance, right? You've got to find some jokes that are going to work for a mainstream audience. Don't, I, I say, don't ever, um, don't ever lose what you want to do. Like, don't be dirty for the sake of being dirty. Now, I found myself in a comedy club. One night I was at Kazi's Comedy Club in uh, Newport News, Virginia, and it was my first time ever headlining a weekend there, and it was not going well. And I was like, man, I did not come all the way out here to bomb at Kazi's. So I ended up like there was a bachelorette party, like a middle-aged bachelorette party in the audience. And they had cookies shaped like butts and penises. And I was like, you know what? They're trying to show me these things. I'm just going to get a little dirty with them. And that's what I did. I got a little dirty and they start laughing. And then I'm able, once I get them laughing, I pepper in one of my jokes that I had planned to tell. And that would laugh. And then I would try another one. And once they would die down from my jokes, I could go back into some dirtiness, get them laughing again, and then pepper some stuff in there. I've done a room in um, Colorado Springs, Colorado called the Dab Lounge. Everybody in there was doing dabs and smoking weed, and they were stoned out of their mind. And there wasn't even that many people in there. I'm talking probably 20 people. One guy brings up a grocery bag and hands it to me, a paper grocery bag, and I open it, and it's like, I don't know, three pounds of weed? I mean, it's like these people were just stoned, and and my regular jokes were not working. And I'm not a crowd work comic, but I thought, you know what? I got to do what I got to do. So I did. I would do a little crowd work. I would make fun of somebody in the audience, and then I would slip in a joke. And if I ever went too into the jokes, it felt like they caught on that I was now doing jokes and would stop laughing. So I would have to hit them with more crowd work. And it's like the more you do, the more you get stage time, the more you get used to these kind of situations, and the more that you begin to understand. Okay, um, you know. Uh, you, you realize how to adapt but not lose yourself. Like I, I was told by a booker one time that you can always add cuss words to a set if you need to. But if you write dirty, it's hard to pull those out to be clean. And I've never really, other than a couple of exceptions, I've never really found it necessary to get dirty. You just got to keep working through it. I mean, for a long time, I had jokes about like I, used, I call them my lotion jokes where they're, you know, about jerking off basically. And... um. You know, and I had them, and I thought they were funny, and I thought they were as clean as as I could get for a joke like that, and they were very clean, but it still was the subject matter that I was talking about, and I didn't want to continue doing that, so I eventually, you know, worked those out of the set, but, you know, you're going to have to do what you got to do to get the laugh so that you continue to get booked, and I I like to think um, when I go on stage, I like to get a laugh as fast as I can. If I got a joke that I know that's going to work right off the top, I'll do that every time, almost to a fault, like I'll do it too long. 
I used to tell this joke in clubs. I was doing a lot of funny bones and improvs. And so much of the staff was all black. And I would wear all black, black V-neck. And, and then I think this was even before I was wearing the hat. And I would go out on stage and I would say, uh, yeah, I'd like to dress like this just in case it doesn't go well and just start waiting tables. And that would almost always get a laugh. And then I could go right into my regular jokes. In fact, when I would look out at the audience and they weren't all wearing black, I would be bummed because I was like, oh, that joke's not going to work now. But, you know, it's that, that's the kind of thing. You got to find those things. You got to bend a little bit because I think a lot of times, especially very creative comics who are funny, and especially if you're making the alt rooms laugh, you, you feel like you're compromising yourself if you do something that you wouldn't normally do just to get a laugh. Like I used to have jokes about Walmart. I always hated the jokes, but on a mainstream audience, it would make them laugh. And I'm like, that is my goal up here. I have 30 minutes on this stage and I need to make them laugh. So if I got to lead off with some jokes about retail stores, some some very relatable stuff, then that's what I'm going to do because you want to, you want to, hit them with some relatability till the audience goes, oh, I get what they're talking about. I get what this this person's all about. And then you can kind of come in and start talking about yourself. Once they, they know they can relate to you, then you can start talking about yourself. And chances are, you know, we're not totally unique people uh, altogether. Like our experiences are like other people's. Do you agree with this, Hannah? Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, there's so many comedians that thrive and are very successful in alternative rooms and struggle uh, in comedy clubs, at least in the beginning. And I think that that's uh, normal and that that happens a lot. So don't think that, you know, there's something wrong with your comedy because you feel a little out of place in the club. I think that that's, I, and you know, I think that if you feel like you're not relating to the other comedians on the show, I think that's good. It means you're original. It means you're doing something different. So try to look at all the things that you perceive as a hindrance right now in the comedy club and, and think about how they're actually uh, an advantage to you. And, and um, I think just keep your toes in both waters in the comedy club and the alternative scene, because ultimately when alternative comedians uh, find success, they end up performing in clubs and theaters. So you're going to need to be familiar with that terrain and what those that atmosphere feels like performing in. I agree. I'm going to continue with the email. Thank you for that, Hannah. This club is located in a very conservative part of town, and the audience probably had a median age of 45. I understand that I won't connect to all audiences, and frankly, I don't want to, but I don't want to use they didn't get my comedy as an excuse. It's hard to work so diligently on my jokes and then watch three comics follow me uh, that use generic and borderline lazy humor. That's just my opinion, though, and I watch a lot of comedy, so maybe I'm being too harsh when I say that. I think uh, this, is, this is an interesting part of the thing because I agree with you. Once you've seen so much comedy, you can begin to recognize what's quote unquote hack and what's not because you've seen so much. And it's like this. Um, Take a person that drinks a lot of wine, a wine connoisseur, right? A wine connoisseur can smell a wine. 
They can, they can sip a wine and slosh it around in their mouths and they can tell you, oh, I taste this, this kind of grape here and a little of this fruit here and a little of this. Whereas someone like me comes along and I'm like, all right, let's drink this wine. Let's get drunk, right? It's like, I don't care what kind of grapes are in the wine. I just want the effect of the alcohol. Whereas another person is like, they're a connoisseur and they, they really want to taste the different kinds or someone that drinks a lot of liquor. See, I always, I used to drink a lot of liquor, but I drank cheap liquor. I didn't, I want, we used to go to a place called the Oasis in Charleston and they had, they had buy one, get two free bourbons. So we would go in and we would get a triple bourbon with a little splash of Coke. Like we didn't care at all, but a real bourbon drinker doesn't want any Coke in there. They want to drink it straight because they enjoy the taste. They enjoy the aroma. They enjoy sipping on it. So the same goes for someone who watches a lot of comedy. If you, you've, you've developed a fine taste for it. So when you have a comedy audience, a lot like a uh, um, alt-room comedy audience, they watch a lot of comedy. They listen to a lot of podcasts. They know all the great comics, and they can just tell you about them all. And, and, and they're like, they get jokes, and they love the formula of a joke. And then there's people that are like, just got off work at five o'clock and they're like, oh, there's a comedy club in town. Hell, let's go down there and watch some comedy, right? They haven't seen comedy since Ron White and Jeff Foxworthy put out uh, the first blue collar comedy tour. They never see live comedy and there's nothing wrong with them not seeing it, but they just don't have the acquired taste for it. So I do think that there is that certain audiences are just not comedy connoisseurs. They just want to laugh. So if you can notice that as you go into a room, well, try to line up the jokes that you have that you think are the easiest to to take, the easiest to handle, that don't require a lot of thought. And once you get that audience really laughing, then try to throw in some of your weird jokes. That's what I do. I always call them the weird jokes. Um, do you like that? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Sometimes I find it a little bit pretentious when alt comedians are like, "Oh, the clubs, the clubs." I'm my my, my co- comedy is just so refined and special. I mean, uh, I think that that's a weird kind of way to almost self sabotage. Is is saying that you know, if, if you're funny, you should be able to make. Well, I will say this: no question about that, no question. But in in her own thing she says that's just my opinion though i watch a lot of comedy so maybe i'm being too harsh when i say that right so i think that she is recognizing what she's saying Mm -hmm. but she's just trying to ask about it and you know there was a booker that once told me and hannah we were sitting we were eating dinner with them and they said to us they said they they booked a lot of comedy and they said we book hack because hack works And hack does work in some of these rooms because, you know, if there's a joke that you know is a hack joke because you've heard it a million times, a person who's just gone to their first comedy show, they have no idea that's a hack joke. I've worked with some crowd work comedians that blew my mind. And then the next night we worked together and they did the exact same crowd work jokes. And I'm still like, that's really good. It's still really good that they can do it. But it's less mind-blowing when you see it twice. The other thing, too, is, um, and this isn't true for all comedians that are quote-unquote alternative, but I think that if they get on stage and people aren't digging their jokes and they're thinking, oh, all these hack comedians before me did well, I think that the energy that a comic can give off on the stage is a little bit contemptful towards the audience, and the audience can feel that. So if you're going on the stage thinking, these idiots aren't going to like my jokes, like, you know, 
audiences pick up on that, you know? So it's like you're not really going into the room trying to do your job and make people feel good. You're kind of going into the room, you know, condescendingly. And the more you do comedy, I agree with that. The m- and the more you do comedy, the more you become confident on stage. So you can recognize, because I can go, when I go out on stage, and, and it still happens to me, I mean, West Palm Beach, uh, when I did that, I mean, I went out on the Sunday show and I was like, pretty quickly realized that that audience was not into me. And I just, I did develop that kind of contentment for the audience. And I just was like, I was mad at them. And I almost wanted to hit them with jokes, like, because I was mad. And it's like, I think that energy comes off for sure. But it's like, the more confident that you get, I mean, you can say things to the audience. You can go, listen, I'm weird. You know, I do that all the time with with clubs. I'm like, because I come out, I got the hat, I got the hair, and I'm like, all right, right? But then they're like... uh I'm, but then they're also maybe a redneck audience and we're expecting, expecting a bit more of a redneck. I wrote jokes about how people don't realize I'm as country as I am. I say, hey, the first girl I ever kissed was at a keg party in a chicken coop. And that's true. We were leaned up next to a John Deere tractor and we made out for a little while. I didn't know what I was doing, but uh, it was a good time. We were at a chicken coop. I had a half a beer. I felt a little buzz. And, uh, and then I rode my four-wheeler home. But people don't know that. Right. So it's okay to tell them, let them on into you. All right. So let's finish it here. I've always tried to follow the advice that you shouldn't focus on being the best, but focus on being different. I agree with this. I keep my jokes clean and I work really hard. I just don't know how to connect with more broad, uh, with a more broad audience. Is it fair to say that I will never connect to a more broad audience? I don't think so. I think the more that you work, the more you continue to hone in, but also, Try to have relatable jokes. I mean, try to have some. Like, all your jokes don't have to be relatable, but have some, enough that you can pepper in, you know? I try to stay away from dating jokes and married jokes and things like that because, I don't know. I mean, I may get into them as I get older because, you know, naturally my audience should age with me and then they will want to hear married jokes. But it's like, you know, Jeff Foxworthy is one of my favorite comedians of all time. But now, you know, the latest set I saw of him was a lot of married jokes. And the audience loved it, right? But I'm just not that into it. So I want to, uh, I just like doing my weird jokes, but jokes that people can relate to, you know? Uh, It's like finding something relatable, but putting your own own unique spin. Spin, not spend. Long story short, I guess my question would be, is there a way to be an alt-comic and succeed in the clubs that have a more general audience, or should I really hone in that voice that makes me different and focus on a more targeted audience? This is what I think. I think you can be a uh, uh, an alt-comic that succeeds in the clubs with a more general audience because that's what I did. I was an alt-comic. The first six years that I did comedy, I had never even performed in a comedy club. It didn't even exist in Charleston, and I had never traveled. So I did some theaters, and I did some comedy for some very stuffy kind of people, and I learned to make them laugh. And then when I started working the road, um, it changed. I mean, I I started bombing a little bit. And then actually one time I was doing uh, the Holiday Inn in Johnson City, Tennessee, and uh, I bombed all weekend. And then I had this this hat right here. Uh, this hat was, this West Point Pepperell hat was laying 
in my car. I used my my uncle worked at West Point Pepperell, and my dad had the hat, and I used to wear it all the time in the car just for fun. I'd put it on while I was driving; it felt fun. And I told my sister, I called her after I had bombed, and I was just like, I think I'm just going to wear this trucker hat. I'm just going to wear this tr- hat on stage, and I'm, I'm just going to give them what they want, you know? And then one day I put on the hat just for fun and uh, went on the news, and I really enjoyed it. And then I wore it on stage for the first time, and then I thought, you know what? I've really always been a hat guy. If you look throughout the years, I'm always wearing a different kind of hat, but I finally found the hat that works for me, and it's the tall trucker hat. It works for me, and I was like, this is what I was missing. So there may be just something that you're missing that you just need to to find, and and, and it's going to be have to be organic. You don't just go out and go, all right, I'll start wearing a hat. You know, you got to find that thing that you're missing. And once you find it, it's going to be great. I thank you for that email. And uh, if other people are listening, send in your emails because I love talking about this stuff. I have a series of things that I want to talk about. Where are we at on time, Hannah? we got about 15 minutes, Dusty. Okay, so I'd like to close out by talking about religion, right? Now, I'm always hesitant to talk about religion because I enjoy everyone uh, that, that enjoys me, right? I mean, like, I know that I have fans that are not religious, that are atheists, agnostics. I have friends, I don't know if they're fans, but I have friends that are Hindu, Buddhist. Um, I have Muslim friends. I have Jewish friends. I have Christian friends, right? And I never, I don't, I don't want to offend anyone, but I also don't want to, you know, feel like I'm coming across as preaching, right? Because I've had people say to me before, they'll go, oh, you think your religion is the right one? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, why would I believe something that I didn't think was the right one? As I would assume that my Muslim friends and Hindu friends and Jewish friends and Buddhist friends, I I assume that they believe that their way is right. And I think that you should or why do you believe it, right? Does that make sense? And so I say, you know, this is what I believe. I'm a Christian, and it 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 helps me. Uh, it's helped me all along because I feel like that my future is secured no matter what happens, right? I mean, things could really fall apart on earth here for me, and I feel like that I'm uh, okay, that things are going to be okay for me no matter what. And I just think it's important to share this because I, I want to get more into it. I, I mean, today it may not be, you know, the detail that I want. I want to kind of see w- what people think about this. But, you know, I want to share my faith more because, you know, I feel like there are a lot of people hurting out there. And I've been in a worse place than I am right now. And um, I feel like that I'm helped uh, because of my faith. Like I feel good and, you know, I I know that um, you probably experience people in the church or uh, so-called Christian people, uh, even Christian people in your life that came across as hypocrites, right? That's that's the word of 2020, right? I mean, Hannah even talked about the word hypocrite uh, recently and it's like – everybody's using that word now. Everything's a hypocrite and it's like, you know, you and, and there are going to be. People in everything are going to be hypocrites. But I think, you know, and even you you look at around at churches and you go, man, this church had this scandal and this preacher had this scandal and this and this. And it's like 
everyone needs to be judged on uh, on or at least analyzed or whatever on an individual basis, right? If the if a if a Catholic priest was arrested for pedophilia, well, unless that whole church knew that he was doing that, then they're not uh, they're not in on it. I mean, they're good people that are just trying to go to that church and just trying to better themselves and i to me christianity is so much of a walk me walking with god in a way trying to better my own life it's not about me choosing this and then judging people because they didn't choose that it helps me better my own life and it helps me come together in a way where where you know again i feel good no matter what happens because uh, you know, well, so many bad things that do happen in this world, I mean, the Bible predicted that they would happen, right? So the almost like the more bad things that do happen, like that's why I thought when the virus came in, I thought we would never do comedy again because, you know, the Bible talks about in the end times there being pestilence, you know, disease and stuff like that. And I thought, whoa, a global pandemic <laughs> feels about as much as that as you can get. It feels like the end of the world. Now, I don't know that it is. I mean, it could end before this podcast is over, or it could end in a thousand years. I have no idea. Um, and, you know, I think when you read, if you read New Testament stuff, like uh, where Jesus is, you know, talking with religious leaders, I mean, Jesus so often clashes with religious people. He's always at odds with the religious people of the time. So if your problem is, with your church that you grew up in or with a a Christian person that you know. I mean, just know that Jesus also had those clashes, you know? And there's a thing that C.S. Lewis says, and I won't be able to quote it exactly, but he says, you know, that when you see a Christian person who has a real bad attitude or or they're just not a nice person, it's like, that's them with Jesus. Imagine them without Jesus, right? And the same thing for you know, a, a, a non-Christian person who, who, who is a great person. I mean, to, to C.S. Lewis and to me, I'm like, wow, what a great person. If they had Jesus in their life, imagine how much more great they would be. And that's just my belief, but I think that it's helped me. Um, and, you know, and it's like, it just, it's so easy to demonize these days. And I just think on a personal level, it's really helped me. And I'm not advocating for a church. I'm not trying to convert people. Um, but it's um, – I just think it's been a real benefit to me, and I've seen it benefit other people. I know a lot of you know, alcoholics and or former alcoholics and drug addicts who have found Jesus. In fact, Alcoholics Anonymous is based on the idea that you have lost control and you surrender to a higher power. And I think that sometimes that's the only way we can truly get the help that we need. I feel like there's a really uh, spiritual aspect in life that's missing these days. And I just, you know, I would like to begin to talk about it more because I think I have a different take on Christianity. And also, uh, in my belief, Jesus is the only person that ever lived that was a perfect person. So when you see a Christian and that Christian is messing up, it's like it's going to happen because you know, it's often easy to call someone a hypocrite when they're Christian and they're messing up uh, than it is to call someone who's a non-Christian and messing up because the Christian is at least saying, I'm trying to hold myself to this standard. And so when they fall short of that, it's easy to go, ah, hypocrite. But And maybe they are, 
or maybe they're just a human being and it's difficult to be perfect. In fact, it's impossible to be perfect. I mean, I try and I fail all the time. And, um, you know, and it's like, I also feel the need to talk about this because, you know, I don't know if the end times are upon us or not, but there is definitely a lot going on that if you read like Matthew 24, I mean, it really looks like a lot of that stuff is happening right now. And maybe it's always been happening. It just is more in our face now. But um, I just think that, you know, I honestly, I believe that if we all had Jesus, we would just be nicer to each other. I mean, Jesus is, oh, it helps me be nice to people. And people will say, well, why can't you just be nice to people? Why do you need something? And I'm like, I don't know. But I feel like that every day, I mean, every situation I'm in, I just try to be thankful and I try to, um, you know, be the best person that I can be. And I feel like Jesus uh, helps me with that. And so I just want to, you know, say that. And then I have a whole thing uh, mapped out of kind of some stuff I'd like to talk about, some biblical things, maybe get into the Bible a little bit and never in a in a preaching kind of way, but just in a um, sharing kind of way. And I, I think that I... Have, I mean, I know that I've found things in the Bible over the last several years that I never knew existed. All the time that I went to church, uh, it was never taught to me. And I find it interesting. And I'd like to dig in there. And I'd like to, I also welcome people to email me if they have any kind of questions about this thing. DustySlayComedy at gmail.com. Uh, email me comedy questions, religious questions, things like that. I'd love to talk about them. I won't answer all your emails, uh, not on the podcast, because a lot of people have sent me emails and I'm only going to answer the ones that I feel like I haven't already answered or um, something that really sticks out to me, but please send them along. I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And um, what are we at on time, Hannah? Five minutes. All right. So I'm going to wrap that up right there. And um, uh, I, I will be in Oklahoma City this weekend at the Looney Bin. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Dusty Slay. I'm going to be posting some longer comedy videos. My YouTube, I've been slow to put stuff out, but I'm going to start putting the podcast on YouTube, at least clips of it. I may not do this whole thing on video, but I'm going to post some kind of clip on YouTube. So if you're not subscribed to my YouTube channel, go ahead and do that. And then click the alert button on there so that when I put out something, you get notified. And... Uh, also my TikTok. I put out a new one minute clip about every three days and likely it's going to be something you haven't seen before because I'm just trying to use the B-roll jokes. Um, and, uh, I think that's it. I mean, I feel good. What do you think, Hannah? I thought it was great, babe. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Maybe I shouldn't call you babe because I'm just the producer. Yeah. You're the producer. Let's not have, we don't want to have, uh, you know, workplace PDA here. Good job, Mr. Slate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, well, uh, I hope they enjoyed that and I will do part, part two of the Spectre side journey. Um, but you know, that's going to involve a lot of drinking and sexual stuff. And I thought, well, we'll save that for another time. That's a juicy one. Maybe I'll record that on my own without my new pr producer in here. And then we'll just put that out. But I got some juicy stuff in part two of the Spectre side story, but also Was it with a Utah lady. No, no, but also, um, um, I found out that the store manager in Mount Pleasant had been listening to my podcast. <laughs> I was like, I was about to put out part two and I was like, Oh no, I don't want him to know how much I was drinking on the clock. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, thanks for tuning in guys. Uh, appreciate you guys. And we're having a good time.